This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sunday, September 18, 2022. Welcome to the 31st episode in this series from Midas Touch and 5-Minute News called The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. Subscribe to the show as audio in addition to my daily 5-Minute News podcast on iTunes or wherever you get yours. Joining me today is Defensive Information Security Specialist and formerly the Senior Cybersecurity Staffer on the campaign to elect Joe Biden, Jackie Singh. Hi, everyone. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me back. Your, this is actually your third time. Your last time was four months ago. I, I looked it up and I'm very thrilled to have you on the show because I you, enjoyed have, it greatly. you have an area of expertise, which I haven't met anybody else that kind of brings that. So thank you. My pleasure. So let's uh, have a quick look through the topics of the week. I mean, it's been a crazy one this week. We're going to a little bit later, we're going to talk about Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, the line for people queuing up to see her coffin lying in state, which is in in uh, the Palace of Westminster, is now 24 hours. It's a it's like a four mile line, wow. uh, and they're actually having to stop people from doing that. So we're going to talk about uh, why British people are so keen to support the monarchy, uh, even after everything they've been through. Uh, we'll look at uh, Lindsey Graham's announcement of a, a national abortion ban, which has actually baffled some Republicans, uh, certainly baffled the rest of us. Um, and, uh, but I, and also Donald Trump has gone full-on QAnon with his postings on Truth Social, and I'm sure you'll have something to say about that. But first, let's go to uh, Florida and also to Texas, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, Two shining stars of the Republican Party. Tragically, DeSantis has sent migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, It's caused a humanitarian situation there. About 50 people with no apparent notice, while Venezuelan migrants from Texas were bussed to Washington, D.C. DeSantis has been portraying people who are merely seeking safety and economic security as asylum seekers, effectively. He's portraying them as violent criminals, and traffickers for political purposes. I mean, where do we start with this? Guy? I think I think the um, the response um, from the people who had to receive these migrants in a totally unexpected manner, you know, late in the day with no notice to any human rights organizations or nonprofits um, or really any anyone, um, just kind of demonstrates a a wanton cruelty. Right. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about human cruelty as a political stunt. Isn't it what we're talking about? I mean, if I did something similar, I think I would be arrested. Well, it's using humans as political pawns, isn't it? I mean, that's the that's really the issue. It's like there doesn't seem to be any compassion at all. 
And the thing is, there isn't really a border crisis. I mean, we should mention the fact that the border is secure and it's actually now being secured with smart technology. It doesn't need an actual wall. And uh, famously, Joe Biden just a few weeks ago got Mexico to agree to pay one and a half billion dollars to actually impose or put this new smart technology in. I mean, Mexico actually are paying for it, unlike the wall. Well, I mean, we could talk about the smart technology all day because, you know, really, I don't I don't think this stuff is making us safer. I think there's an endless pit of money that just goes into these digital uh, technologies that are, you know, being sold to the U.S. government by folks like Anduril, which is a company founded by a former Facebooker who created this company Oculus and created these uh, virtual reality headsets that we all use um, through Facebook. He sold this technology to Facebook and then he decided he was going to start a defense firm, right? And kind of take those technologies. That well, that's where to. the money is, right? That's I mean, there's where so the money many is. companies. It reminds me of there was a, a, a British guy who sold, you know, those dowsing rods. It's like a fake thing to kind yes. of look for. He, he, he put those in a flight case with some other stuff and sold it to the military, foreign military, as a bomb detection equipment and sold it for thousands and thousands. I mean, he made millions. <laughs> yeah. and eventually he was arrested and imprisoned. But there, these government contracts, these military contracts, I mean, I don't know how we've got onto this so very quickly, but it's, it's certainly with your area of expertise, it's very interesting to me because... You know, the border is secure from the perspective of the Joe Biden administration. But the Republicans, they don't seem to consider asylum as a valid reason to cross the border. No, I mean, they don't want anyone here, right? If if this were to suddenly become the um, America of the GOP, or let's say uh, the policies of today's GOP were implemented back when my parents came to the United States from India and the Dominican Republic, I wouldn't be here, you know, and I wouldn't have had an opportunity to participate in this country and to just be an American citizen. So I think really what we're looking at is the possibility that certain factions within the GOP simply don't want people like me to exist in America. It always goes back to race, doesn't it? I mean, Sadly. you know, even the Sadly. even the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis, you know, that 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 is it's just pure racism. And 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 every conversation I seem to have on this show, the, the origins of the of the issue stem from racism. Americans so, so, can't face we can't face our past. And if we're unable to kind of face our past with regard to how this country was built, how it was founded and how it was built, if you can't you know, have a conversation with a regular person on the street about what happened here um, in the same way that you could have a conversation with a German on the street about what happened during World War II. Um, until that recognition exists, we're still going to be trapped in this regressive state of um, considering policies for ourselves as a nation that simply aren't aligned to who we are. They aren't aligned to who we want to be. And they, they're taking us further away from the ideal that was established and enshrined in the Constitution. So it's really tough to see, you know, today's GOP reference the Constitution or reference constitutional protections or talk about, you know, what what we want to be and who we want to be um, while they're trying to essentially reverse that. It's like they're they're taking the, the stick shift and they're going right in reverse. They don't want to go forward. Right. They're not progressives. They're regressives. 
right? And I don't well, it's like it's like the pro-life argument. What's that? It's like the pro, it's like the pro-life argument, isn't it? It's like pro-life for an unborn baby or a fetus, but not pro-life for the mother. Because you know, with the, since since Roe was overturned, you have you have mothers dying now because physicians are f- frightened to operate to save the life of a mother with a with a problematic pregnancy because they 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 fear going to jail. I mean, so so all of their slogans, whether it be pro pro life or law and order, all of these things, none of them are based in truth. Now, look, um, this bill would put doctors in prison for up to five years, right? We're forcing women to undergo um, extremely invasive exams like transvaginal ultrasounds. We're, um, as a nation, I hate to say this, we're considering like placing um, a federal ban that would force rape victims to give birth, right? With no exceptions for fetal abnormalities, right? But like, it's it's the Handmaid's Tale, isn't it? I this mean, is, it, you know, this we, is America. People this joke is not, about that, but it's actually right. happening. It's not a joke. It's not a joke anymore. I think we we should step away from the comparisons to The Handmaid's Tale and to Black Mirror because we're looking at a, a dystopia that is very real and that is here and present today. We're looking at a um, a Republican Party that is no longer a rational party. Um, we're looking at a Republican Party who was all about states' rights until they hit the limit with that. Right. And so now they're continuing to accelerate um, this agenda, which I feel very comfortable saying at this point is a is a far right agenda. Right. Um, the GOP is now a far right party. And I'm not sure where that leaves, um, you know, the few remaining normal Republicans. Right. Like where do Let, they go? let's let's go back to this, uh, the deportations, because. I mean, I was I was actually reading, um, you know, some of these manifesto pledges by some of these governors. Uh, Rick Scott specifically in Florida and talking about, I mean, it, it read like it read like pages of Mein Kampf. I mean, just to kind of see the way that he, it seemed it seemed as if he was oblivious to racism. He was saying things in this manifesto like, "We don't see color, so we will never ask people in a in a government form about their race or their gender." You know, it's 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 irrelevant. And so using and this is why I want to ask you specifically about this, because it's 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 using a kind of anti-racist stance to be more racist. And people like you and I, obviously, we don't buy it. We know exactly what they're doing. But there are a lot of people that would be like, yeah, why should we be asking about race? Because if we're asking about race, that makes us racist. Ah, this is a very common conversation that's had throughout America on a daily basis, right? If we, again, if we, if we don't face things and we just somehow, um, don't talk about them, then they don't exist, right? And I think for many white people, that is the experience, right? Uh, maybe even for most white people, if you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. If you say nothing about it in, in your worldview and from your perspective, it just doesn't happen. And it can be very shocking. Um, I've experienced this personally for like friends of mine, um, white friends of mine to see videos of encounters, racist encounters, everyday conversations that people have in America that are now filmable, that are now filmed because everyone has a phone in their pocket. Um, and it can be really distressing, I think, to see that difference between these deeply held beliefs of the um, egalitarian America 
um, where equality is real and it is enshrined in the Constitution. And then just the delta between that, the difference between that and the daily interactions that people have and how the way that we're perceived kind of changes that and colors our interactions every day. And I also think that um, something that whites in America particularly can't perceive is what it feels like when when you are kind of faced with that regularly, often, again and again, right? It's not just, hey, I um, I had a nasty interaction with someone in the grocery store and I didn't understand why. It's like there was that nasty interaction and that nasty interaction and I didn't get alone. And, you know, it's so many different things together and it produces an experience that is radically different from that of um, of your regular American. And so I think, um, you know, what they're doing it. These events, right, shipping people around, essentially using people to make political statements about um, race or, or just the general thought that if you think these people should be protected, why don't you take them on, right? If blue states are the ones that really think that people deserve human rights, then why don't you take them on? I think we saw that quite admirably the people of Martha's Vineyard, um, you know, took care of these uh, migrants. Yeah, I mean, they, they absorbed yeah. these people immediately. They yeah. gave them legal advice. They gave them food, shelter, health care immediately. The right thing to do. It's the right and, thing to do. And, and this is the thing about America, which was built by immigrants, that, you know, whatever you hold dear to you, to yourself, I mean, some of it was built by slaves, but but much of it, most of it was built by by immigrants. I'm an immigrant myself, you know, and I'm hopefully here doing good work because I love America. I'm glad and you're here. I appreciate you for that. And and I recognize that and we've said this before on this show. And in fact, I was talking to politics girl about this because she's Canadian. And, and, and Lee said that maybe it takes people from outside of America to be able to point out the things that need sharpening up in America. It's not to criticize, but it's to draw attention to. And maybe American exceptionalism prevents some Americans from critiquing their own environment. And, and, and so going back to, to Rick Scott and his 11 or 12 point plan for saving America, which Joe Biden actually retweeted. And I want to ask you about his new social media in just a second. He actually retweeted this manifesto <laughs> and based because it was so racist and it was it was so extremist and it was so far right. Was it the White that, House account or, or at Joe Biden? Well, they actually did it. Uh, I think it was on JoeBiden.com slash rick scott or something i mean they, they they really went for it i've never and actually my concern was and i mean this is a little technical but they didn't change the title so it said the democrats when you clicked on it it said the democrats in the title bar on the oh, no. on the url and then it had this whole thing and i was oh, like no. I, I don't want anybody to think that this is this is joe biden's plan for america so so i'm kind of pleased that you know joe biden is finally engaging with fascism because you know this was a word that was never used previously whether it's semi-fascism or all-out fascism it's what's happening yeah i uh i i'm really glad to see it i think um joe's address to the american people which wasn't even carried by many of our major networks this is a prime time well, address yeah. that they simply decided not to carry, um, which I think really speaks um, to the state of the media environment in the United States, right? It's, it's, it's fractured, it's fragmented, and um, there are decisions being made that um, aren't clear to the people who are receiving this information, right? We've seen some changes recently at CNN, for example, that 
other people, other folks watching CNN might not be aware of, right? Why is yeah. the why is the editorial line at CNN changing, right? What's changing about it? Um, I think people in media tend to notice these things and talk about them as industry points, but regular yeah. folks don't necessarily know. Yeah, and so I when agree. CNN suddenly starts kind of changing things and CNN is now repeating certain things that maybe aren't aligned with reality or maybe are creating a both sidesism where there shouldn't really be one because the other side doesn't actually have a platform that is presentable in the within the yeah. democracy of America, right? Like there there's a lot of that going on. And so I have to say that um I've had some arguments with folks on the internet recently about using the term Nazi. Um, and I think there are a lot of sensitivities around using the term Nazi. I think that Americans tend to see that as one thing and only one type of evil. And what I want people to understand is that the evil that says trans people don't deserve to exist or the evil that says that certain people just aren't allowed in our country, um, even if they haven't done anything wrong in our country, right? That kind of mentality is the little snowball effect that fascists rely on, right? It's, it's oh, you know, trans people, they're 1% of the population. They're a very good scapegoat. Um, they don't have a lot of political power and they um, don't have a lot of um, allies and people who can defend them effectively. And the fact is that most Americans don't know who a trans person, right? They don't, they don't know someone. Um, and that makes them very useful to be used as that kind of nugget inside the snowball that can be built and built. And that's really how fascism comes about, right? It's not a, from, from history, it's not a sudden process. It's not an, a sudden impact. It's not we wake up tomorrow and we're in fascism. It's a bit like a frog boiling. It's a little by little by little. And if you look at what some of the GOP is doing today, um, you know, it really feels like they, um, they're looking for the ugliest events in American history to reenact. Yeah. Right. That's the intention. And I almost feel like I can see Christina Pusha's fingerprints all over this. Right. Just a reminder, um, recently yeah. registered as a foreign agent after, you know, broad outcry and lots of conversation about how this woman made it from Tbilisi, Georgia, all the way back in a U-turn to uh, Tallahassee. It's a fascinating story about how Christina Pusha became the press secretary um, at the DeSantis camp and is now resigned since filing her um, foreign agent registration and is now uh, working for his campaign. And so I felt to me like she seems like someone who would Google something like this and think to themselves, we want to put on reenactments because this is the route to the DeSantis presidency. I feel like I can, yeah. I almost feel like I can feel her, her fingerprints on this. Do you know what I mean? Because the well, it's very theatrical, isn't it? And, and, and right. what they did was they didn't alert the authorities that they were going to be deporting people. They called the press. But they did alert Fox News and the media. And so it was filmed. These migrants getting off the bus and getting off the plane was all filmed. It was all broadcast live on right-wing news networks. They know exactly what they're doing, and, and they are playing into the hands of voters who think there's an immigration problem because they've been told there's an immigration problem by the very networks that are working for Ron DeSantis. Right, absolutely. I think many journalists out there are doing... Um they're doing the best that they can within the environment and the circumstances that they have and the editors that they have to present 
factual information. And I think many times the analysis isn't presented. So the analysis gets lost because the viewer, the reader, I'm sorry, has to put together 10 different points from an article and then to put that together into a story and into, into a narrative, right? That's what the journalist should be doing. That's what the media should be doing. Yeah. To say, look at all of these things together. Here's what we think this could mean together. And uh, we're seeing a lot of dereliction, a lot of facts being reported, which causes Abbott and DeSantis and these types who would use the media as a way to kind of launder these narratives. It just gives them a podium. It's a big podium, you know? So um, I think the media participates in this circus when they don't ask deeper questions about how these stunts are enabled. Um, you know, my first question here is how did the Department of Homeland Security turn over two planes full of migrants and sent them to. So you're telling me people came into our country looking for safety and security. And my government put them on a plane with falsified addresses of homeless shelters all over the United States. I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm starting to feel like this incandescent rage. And I can't imagine how I would feel if I were one of those migrants. I mean, my voice is shaking. And I go back to asking, do we actually have operational control over the Department of Homeland Security? Is Alejandro Mayorkas in charge? Because I feel like um, I feel like the Trump appointees there, the illegal appointees, Chad Wolf, Ken Cuccinelli, um, who illegally succeeded um, uh, Kirsten, uh, Kirsten uh, Nielsen, um, I have to wonder what kind of toxic cultural legacy they've left behind. And we have to ask ourselves, and we have an institution, an agency who has the broadest surveillance powers in the United States, who has this digital defense wall that you've talked about with many different technologies from many different defense contractors with millions and you know, billions of American taxpayer dollars, like our labor goes into this, you know? Yeah. So you have this agency that has this culture um, you have the ousted heads, you have a new Biden appointee, but we're not seeing policy changes. We're not seeing um, DHS showing up on January 6th, right? We're not seeing... Well, no, no, nobody showed up on January 6th. <laughs> right. So we're talking you about know, an agency I mean... that has fusion centers all over the United States. Fusion centers meaning they have fused surveillance data in order to produce supposedly an accurate picture of what's going on. Right. Yeah, and we've also now heard this week that um, cell phone data was has has been um, yes. taken from people who were you know pulled aside by immigration services yes. at yes. airports I mean, and the like. It goes back so, to DHS so, needing to be reined in. I mean, if you're saying that Americans, anyone who's within a hundred miles of a border, is now within the scope of DHS and their search and yeah. seizure. You know, um, they tried to defend themselves here, Anthony, by saying, oh, it's only just a fraction of the travelers that are passing through. But the reality is that they are using software um, and hardware of the type that information security professionals like myself would use. This is forensic software. They take a yeah. photocopy of that phone. They take your phone into another room. They photocopy it. They take your contacts, your text messages, absolutely everything in that device, anything that you've been doing. It's all there. Right. Um, and then they saved that for 15 years. And that database um, just came to light recently. Is the, the is, the, is the Trump administration DHS different to the Biden administration one? Measure I mean, Mayorkas, as you know, is a... You know, is an immigrant himself, and he's somebody who, who I was thrilled to be honest 
that he he suddenly was was heading up the department because I, I was like finally you know somebody who probably has more empathy for those who are who are seeking a better life and escaping persecution or you know but it's imperfect in every country i mean where i'm from in england we have the whole same thing currently with people coming across the english channel and and, and people dying in boats and i mean it's a it's a disaster and and you know blaming france and pe- people being kept in france and and it's a, it's a mess and any country that has a you know a water border in this way you know suffers like this and the world is a mess right now you know people are going to seek asylum for political reasons but also for climate i mean if they think it's bad now if republicans are complaining now you wait till it gets too hot to live in in other parts of the world uh, or where water runs out you know where when people really do need to get the hell out of there and, and seek a better life i mean migration across the world is going to change unrecognizably and 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 the 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 socioeconomic landscape is going to be completely different in a in a decade or so's time but i'm just interested to know if if you believe that biden's management of the of the migrant crisis well it's being called a migrant crisis i remember that that's me repeating right wing talking points the of immigration if he has a better handle on it than Trump had building a fake wall that never worked and never got completed? I would say yes. Um, I would say yes to that for multiple reasons. One is because of DACA, right? Um, Just enshrining uh, DACA into law and ensuring that dreamers can stay in the United States um, is big. I think it's a big morale win and it speaks to the intent of the administration with regard to immigration, right? If you, um, if you, if you did the right things, um, you weren't here by your own fault. You were young, you were brought here. Um, you know, we're going to find a way to make it right. I think that's the America that I want to live in. I think we're not seeing, um, we aren't seeing images of kids in cages, right? And that crisis seems to have passed because some of those policies were changed. But with regard to the broader policies, um, relating to immigration in the United States. I don't necessarily think, think things are getting better. Um, you know, for example, H-1B reform, right? That's a type of visa that is often used for tech, tech workers. And so being in the technical uh, field and in the tech industry, I look at that a lot. And um, I think what is most important to recognize about policies and their outcomes is that you can often tell the relationship between a lawmaker and the outcomes that they're trying to bring about. And sometimes there's a clumsiness and sometimes there's a, you know, we don't want to rock the boat too soon. We have a, we have an organization that has been doing things a certain way. How do we slowly write this organization, which, you know, DHS is only 20 years old. We're talking about a very young agency that suddenly had lots of money and um, no discipline, right? Which I think continues today, lots of money and no discipline um, and and very hastily constructed out of many different elements um, within the government, right? That kind of got kind of thrown under DHS. So I think there's something to be said from a leadership perspective about um, going a little slowly, but I also think that there isn't that much time because in America we have four years, we have four years right. and then and then maybe it rolls over. And so I I appreciate the intent behind the policies that I've seen so far. 
Um, but I'd like to see more concrete resolutions. And I think Biden's been doing a great job on that. I think there's been a lot of tone setting from the White House, right? And, yeah. and this is what I think is good about, this is what I think is good. This is what I think is, is American, right? And I'm going to go ahead and reinforce that. I think that um, methodology and that messaging from the White House has been really positive, but I'm not sure that it's as effective as it could be to counter the narratives kind of coming from every which way, because the strategy is, again, like I said, to use the media to launder narratives, to mm. um, get journalists to amplify stories that maybe aren't even really stories or that aren't good stories for America that don't push us forward, that don't um, you know, improve anyone's life. So, well, there's, um, there's a shortage of, of detail, isn't there? You know, Republicans say Biden's not even been to the border. Kamala Harris, who's supposed to be in charge, hasn't even been to the border. And this obsession with these leaders being seen, photo-opped at, at the border, is it, it's become the whole kind of immigration policy of the Republicans. Well, they get to know? win. If he, if he goes or doesn't go, they get to win no matter what. If he doesn't go, they yeah. say he hasn't gone, he doesn't care. If he shows up over there, they say, uh, you know, uh, whatever. It makes him look bad to the Democrats. It's just but like... he could solve the immigration problem... <laughs> But if he hadn't gone to the border himself, then they will still say that there is a problem. And it's, it's a bit like Hunter Biden's laptop, isn't it? It's like They're a convenient can say. distraction. And yeah. the lack of context is, is what they rely on, right? They rely yeah. on the fact that there are so many stories that they push down to their own constituencies every day that those people don't have the time and the energy. These are people who are working, who have lives, who have children and families. Yeah. People don't have endless hours to sit on the internet and just read primary sources all day to find yeah. out what's really going on in the world, right? That's why I really, I go back to kind of the responsibility of the media. I keep putting, pushing it back on the media. We need to have, um, you know, editors who care about presenting good and true stories and not yeah. those who focus on saving their jobs through both sidesism, you know, yeah. like well, if you're, or, or just keep, yeah, keeping keeping their jobs, staying in the game, right? And I know that because I I worked for the networks for right. for, for decades, so I understand and and I felt compelled when I moved to the U.S. and I saw that despite all of these news channels, there was no news. The news that I knew the way you were supposed to do it, which is why I started, you know, a, a short daily podcast. That, that just gave three daily news stories that were the most important, not the biggest stories, but the most important. And obviously the, the biggest story on um, Friday's episode on 5-Minute News, the top story was Ron DeSantis deporting uh, asylum seekers. I, I just want to mention, just we're going to move on, but I just want to mention that um, uh, in California, uh, Gavin Newsom, the, uh, the, the governor, has uh, actually written to kind of question or ask the, the DOJ to investigate whether the, um, uh, the kidnapping of these people is, is illegal. He's, he's basically saying, you know, does this support charges of kidnapping under relevant state laws? And he suggested a, a potential investigation could come under the racketeer-influenced and corrupt organization uh, provisions of the Organized Crime Control Act of 1970 and the Interstate Travel at Play gives the DOJ power to conduct such an investigation. So Newsom is standing up, as he does certainly in California, uh, even in, um, uh, for those who've come through Florida. Uh, apparently these Venezuelans were told that they were going to Boston and ended up in Martha's Vineyard. So 
We're going to take a pause here, Jackie. I want to come back and talk to you more because we have a new sponsor on this show and I, I really want to just spend a, a second talking, uh, talking about them. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we take care of our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping our brains healthy. And there's plenty of ways to support a healthy brain. You can learn a new language or you can take naps in the day. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, I have enjoyed therapy for maybe seven years now where I spend time with a uh, qualified individual one-on-one, -on -one, online. I've done it in person, but I now do it online. And I really feel that being able to share some of my most inner thoughts and feelings with somebody who is non-judgmental, but who is also um, qualified and, and understanding uh, is very helpful to just navigating through life. Well, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone and live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to look at someone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And as a listener or viewer to The Weekend Show, we're giving you the chance to get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash weekend show. That's betterhelp.com slash weekend show. We're back with Jackie Singh on The Weekend Show. I'm Anthony Davis. We are looking at uh, the big stories of the week and uh, how can we go an episode without talking about um, the uh, leader or the self-confessed leader of the Republican Party, Donald Trump, who now is openly embracing and amplifying QAnon conspiracy theories. He's been winking at QAnon for years, but now he's overtly embracing this baseless conspiracy theory, even as the number of frightening real-world events linked to it uh, grows. And he's using Truth Social, his own uh, platform, to... I mean, he actually posts an image of himself wearing a Q lapel pin overlaid with the words, the storm is coming. Uh, Jackie, how much attention do you pay to QAnon and to Truth Social? And, and how much attention should we appoint, uh, uh, um, give to it? Because, you know, people criticize people like me for reposting Truth Social stuff on Twitter. And they're like, oh, you know, he was banned from Twitter for a reason. You shouldn't repost it. I mean, I personally think we should be listening to the kind of fascist outpourings of this guy. Yeah, I think there's an interesting balance to be struck between, um, you know, allowing fascists to take over the public square and to spread viral memes of hatred, because that's really what Twitter's good for, right, is, is passing around viral memes, viral information, um, little nuggets of, of information here and there. But it's, it's often used for hatred, um, just outright virulently disgusting stuff that they don't seem to be able to clean up from their platform unless it's very centralized and kind of coming from someone like um, Donald Trump. But actually, I should caveat that by saying that there are many others who spread vitriol on Twitter today who are um, sometimes even um, promoted by Twitter with a blue check, which becomes really yeah. difficult to understand. Um, but I, I can say that despite Trump being on Truth Social, um, it, it attenuates some of what he says, right? It, it attenuates kind of the general messaging uh, around what he wants to put out into the world because Twitter is such a powerful force for interacting with the media and media tend to pick up on things that are, that are discussed on Twitter. And, you know, since so many 
public figures use Twitter as the opportunity to have a platform and to project themselves daily, right? That's what Trump is doing on Truth Social. Um, they've been besieged by problems. They've had, you know, financial issues, technical problems, all different sorts of, you know, issues that a company like Twitter at the scale that they have um, has largely solved or, you know, does really well with because uh, something that's really unlooked and should be discussed a little bit more is the fact that there are very, uh, there's a overrepresentation of queer people and of weird people and of unusual people and of different people and of outsiders in the world of tech. And those people help power companies like Twitter and, right. you know, regular Americans would kind of be shocked to see um, what some of these people wear or the the opinions that they have or the attitudes that they have. And those people actually underpin the technology um, um, superiority, I would say, of the United States in the commercial sector no, and government. Effectively. Right. And yeah. so it's funny because companies like Truth Social simply can't recruit those types of people. <laughs> those are the people with talent. <laughs> right. Yeah. The right. weird people in in, uh, in technology are the people yeah. with talent quite often. And so um, it's just been an ongoing joke in the world of technology, you know, Truth Social and Rumble and um, these attempts that uh, Trump and his people have had to try to create new methods of disseminating information that can't be limited. And they call they call that um, no censorship. They say that our platforms aren't censored and you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but what I think isn't clear to most people is how much work Twitter does every day in order to clean up the sewage. And the fact that the right. sewage that we do end up seeing is actually a very small percentage of the total. And if these companies were not actually doing the moderation that they were doing, we would end up in a morass. And so that's really what you see on these other social media platforms is just kind of a very low um, signal to noise ratio, which, um, you know, helps perpetuate the, the, the attenuation or helps continue the attenuation of what it is that he wants to push out. But, but a certain it's number harder of people for are people on Truth attention. Social to argue, isn't it? Because if there's, if there's no if there's no if there's no kind of equal numbers of, of people on both sides of the political spectrum on Truth Social, then where, where's the argument? It's, you know, just, it's just a weird... It's just shouting in, in, yes. into the void. Yes, it's just... And it's I, just I, I find weird... that kind of funny. It's like, hey, everybody, you know, we've been thrown off legitimate platforms, so we're going to make our own. They're not going to be as good. Let's all pile over there. And then they're like, oh, there's nobody to argue with anymore. And there's no one to call a snowflake anymore. Other than, interestingly, there are some... Uh, uh, snowflakes uh, on the left who have purposely signed up for Truth Social just to cause trouble, uh, which, you know, is is their free speech. But I, I do notice that when Trump posts things, there's not that many retweets or retruths, as they're called. You know, he's not getting the traction that he got on, on Twitter. And he's just playing to the gallery. So, I don't really see it so much as a threat, but occasionally I like to repost them on, on the legitimate platform because, and as we're discussing, he has now really given himself over to this conspiracy world. It's almost like he's given up with the real world because the real world wants to prosecute him, wants to indict him, wants to go looking through Melania's wardrobe looking for official secrets, you know? And, and so in the real world, he's like, oh, it's not working for me. I'm I'm losing... I'm losing ground. Whereas in in the QAnon space, where it's his freedom fighters, they're just going to have his back. I think I think that the the embrace of QAnon is fascinating for multiple reasons. Right? You asked how 
closely I follow um, kind of QAnon. I think that any person who researches extremism in the United States has had to do some research on QAnon since 2016. Um, there's a subreddit that I follow called QAnon Casualties. And in that subreddit um, two days ago, either on the, the 13th or the 14th of September, uh, a woman posted about having just lost her family in a horrific situation where her father had slowly become a QAnon adherent over time and had slowly alienated his family and then decided to, to kill some of the family. And um, this woman was left and she was just kind of shell-shocked and writing on Reddit. And it, and it was going viral very quickly. And at first, all of us were thinking, like, is this is this real? Can we authenticate this? You know, how do we know this is real? And it, it turned out to be real. And so what's crazy about Trump kind of pinning um, QAnon onto himself is that it's unconscionable for him to support QAnon, but only if you haven't been tracking the work of um, former general and head of the of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Mike Flynn. Right. Um, right. Researcher. Jim, Flynn is key, isn't he? He really is he a is kind of key. linchpin in this entire movement. He is key. And there's more and more and more coming to light every day. I think many people have seen a documentary um, about Q that kind of pins the responsibility for Q on a man named Ron Watkins, who um, you know has run some unsavory sites on the Internet. Um, I think he took the credit for that. I'm not necessarily sure that he was the progenitor of that. And. Um, researcher Jim Stewartson has presented a case that Flynn and his entourage may be essentially responsible for an array of crimes that are directly linked to the assaults on our democracy. And it's not easy to see how these people are linked and how they work together, right? Because all of that is, is hidden from us. Um, what we know is that uh, Mike Flynn's younger brother, Charlie, commands 100,000 tr U.S. Army troops in the Pacific. Right. Um, we know that and Flynn won't talk about his brother, will he? He just whenever he's asked about his brother, Flynn refuses to engage not. on, on yeah, that. Of course subject. not. He doesn't want anyone thinking about that. I mean, these people really don't want anyone thinking about the level of infiltration, the level of, of power, um, the, the, the amount of dark money, where that money comes from and where it flows to um, Russia's involvement in, in all of this. Um, I think. Essentially, Trump donning a QAnon pin and like openly embracing this cult to me is a sign that Mike Flynn and his band of idiots are now directly publicly involved in Trump's reelection effort. It's as if, um, you know, they're running out of options. Right. And, and you know, legitimate options have failed. Correct. And so it's like all in with the cult now. And and there's two cults, really, isn't there? There's the cult of Trump, the, the MAGA Republicans, as as uh, Biden refers to them as people who blindly just do anything that Trump says and worship him no matter what. But then there's this kind of deep state version, you know, that they refer to these these hackers and these QAnon people who are reading code, reading between the lines. And and, you know, Trump as we know, has spoken to these people in code in speeches, right? Whether it be the white power Stand symbol that he may or may not know back. that he's doing, but it is a call to action for people that know to respond to it. And we now know that militia groups were leading the January 6th charge and, and organizing the mob. Yes. But also he was interviewed a, a few days ago, Trump, on a, on a, a, a right-wing media channel. And they said to him, you know, what are the what would happen if you got indicted? They asked him. He was he phoned in, 
you know, one of these occasions when they can't get Trump off the phone. He phoned in and they said, what, what do you think the country would do if you were indicted or if you were prosecuted? And his answer was very interesting to me because it was exactly the same language that he's used at rallies and he used at January 6 about, you know, you've got to fight and if you don't fight, you won't have a country anymore. He said, people won't stand for it. They won't stand for it. If I get indicted, people won't stand for it. Effectively saying, rallying the troops. Okay, my people, if this happens to me, grab your weapons and don't stand for it. It's code. But to people that care and people that follow him, they're going to do what he says. Yeah, um, it's another version of stand back and stand by, um, but it's a little yeah. more um, it's a little more ready, right? It's indicating yeah. a, a higher level of readiness is needed. I think um, the combination of QAnon, Trump, Proud Boys, um, I think we're in a very dangerous time in America, where we don't even we're not even sure if we can rely on our Homeland Security Department to respond if there's another coup attempt, right? We're just not sure. And now that we know that the, the Homeland Security um, agents will simply hand over 50, 100, whatever, however many people to any governor that asks, I think we have to ask ourselves whether, um, you know, this agency is politically compromised and whether they still have allegiance to the American people more generally. And what does that mean? Right? What scenarios are being imagined by Homeland Security? What are the contingencies in place? You know, how do they plan to respond to what are they planning for? I think there's a there's a lack of uh, recognition amongst the amongst really the public or analyst policy researchers about what DHS is actually focusing on and whether they are reorienting to the far right threat. Or, you know, is it going to take a, another Oklahoma City type of situation, right, before Americans decide anew that we reject fascism, right? And I'm not sure when, what that event would be to precipitate that, because the last time we had... Well, the storm like that, is coming. I mean, he's talking about it already, isn't he? He's, he's using phrases and reposting phrases like the storm is coming. He's and I've seen a time. lot of... Right. There's, and there's a lot of chatter. They call that chatter, yes. don't they? Where, where it's like floating around in the... In they these, call in it these, chatter uh, when they were talking about terrorists having conversations between each other about how to do something right. or that something's coming, right? Like that's usually the context in which yeah. we use the word chatter. And I think it's absolutely appropriate for this circumstance. Yeah. So, so the, the threats now, whether they be in code from Trump or whether they be uh, posted in, in chatter or even in chat rooms uh, where QAnon operate, you know, these, these, these chat rooms, um, I, I am aware that something is going to happen and I think it's going to be bigger than January 6th. And I, and I do think it will be associated with the moment in which Trump is is indicted or called in for questioning or taken away in handcuffs or whatever it is, because he's clearly broken the law. I mean, you can't deny that he's broken the law. But his personal view is that I am the law. I was the president. I make the law. I declassified my whole body and everything I touch. I mean, that's his that's his thinking, because he has this superiority complex associated with his narcissism that that, that 
he cannot comprehend that the law might apply to him. And because he said that out loud, his followers and his supporters who have put him on this godlike pedestal, they also don't care that the law should apply to him. And yet, in the next breath, they're campaigning for law and order. And that's the disconnect that I don't get. And I don't understand why they don't see it. That, that law and order has to include them, whether they're, you know, breaking into the Capitol on the 6th of January, or even their president, who's breaking law and committing a coup in plain sight. I think it's a mistake to try to look for logic from a people yeah, who have no, been... Yeah, my, my, my mistake. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I and mean, look, these people have been so... I would say the American people have been put through a disinformation ringer since 2016 that yeah. is like... It's like a washing machine. You're just kind of thrown about constantly, you know? And it, if you're not following these things, and even if you are, taking one day off can mean missing a lot. Um, it's a very complex information environment. The war in Ukraine obviously complicates this. We've had a lot of problems with Russia. They've been spending a lot of money. We've just recently had some um, very good reporting um, discussing how much money the Russians have spent to convince Americans of various things which are leading to us being at our throats, being at each other's throats. You know, this is a very intentional strategy. Um, Russia loves to play up, again, anti-trans anti, uh, uh, memes, for example, anti-trans stuff. They love to hype that up because they know that Americans don't know these people and that they're kind of scared of them and don't really, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, a, it's an exploitation of every psychological understanding that they took from us during the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Yeah. Right. They've, they've, it's they've, so clever. I mean, it's, they're it's exploiting the us. grift is so clever because the Russians are, are so far ahead. You know, it's this kind of KGB mentality that, that, that Putin has, you know, this training, this military training, this kind of undercover working with the with the psyche of, of people being able to manipulate people. And, and the thing that is so I mean, it's almost a joke, isn't it, that, that Trump is the mark. You know, that, that, that Putin is manipulating Trump to make him say things out loud like no president was as tough on Russia as I was, which has no basis in truth. But by saying it over and over again, it, it distracts from the fact that Trump willingly or unwittingly colluded with Russia. And it's all in the report that nobody read. These are so disinformation we, we are, schemes. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a very these are these are. Um, um, useful skills of rhetoric and persuasion. And, you know, I've, I've um, been identifying a lot of people who have um, propaganda skills, right, that are kind right. of in the Trump orbit. Like I mentioned, uh, Christina Pushaw, for example. One of the yeah. tactics that is used, and uh, I see it every day, every single day, is called DARVO, D-A-R-V-O. And it's deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. So you deny what they say about you, you immediately reverse the the attacker and the victim, right? And it's a very effective strategy, and it's used every day. It's constant. Um, that's why it, it's ga it's gaslighting, effectively, isn't it? It's, it, it's what it is. it's what Marjorie Taylor Greene likes. It to is, do, you know, but it almost stops to be gaslighting switching. once you. It's hard, it's hard for me to explain this, right? Because gaslighting is, I have a position that I am very, I am very conversant in this position. I'm very, I've, I hold this belief. Um, 
And then you come around and you kind of tell me that I'm full of crap and I don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, let me just discredit you. And, you know, you, you don't have a college degree. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, but this goes beyond gaslighting because it's kind of the same um, narrative being pushed until the narrative kind of gets changed on its head and then it's t- something totally different and then that just gets accepted. So it's almost like a like an Orwell 1984 situation, right? We're at war with East Asia, we're at war with Eurasia. And when you can create the information environment that where people are so bombarded um, and trusted institutions is so low, um, anything can make it in. And then even when it makes it in, there isn't a lot of trust that what you've just heard is actually real or the truth. So you stop even thinking about wanting to find the truth, right? Mm. The, the, the barriers to finding the truth are so high, the hurdles insurmountable. And that's what the Russians have been living under. That's the information environment they've been living under for a long time. Um, and I, I don't think that Americans are any different. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we have a free press. Um, but capitalism and capitalistic incentives uh, very much affect that, right? And we're not... Well, we're, see- we're seeing that with the change of ownership with, with CNN, aren't we? It's, yeah. it's like it's a free press to a point because it depends who the owner is. Right. And if you've got a, a Murdoch at the top of the organization, then a certain uh, editorial policy filters through. And I've worked in these organizations, so I understand how that's done in a very subtle way. You know, right. I've even witnessed the way it's done where nothing is emailed it's just said in a conversation passing in a corridor right because no one can record that there's no there's no time to press record on your phone it's like oh uh could i just you know it's very very clever about how information is passed so that there's no paper trail maybe this is why donald trump likes to eat national secrets or, or documents right you know or, or like he said with mcdonald's at least you know where it came from so i i i recognize that um there are so many you know psychological tricks and 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 processes that are used even by people that you think are not very smart you know the the ted cruises of this world who who make everything seem so black and white and yet behind the scenes you know he's an educated man there is a lot of careful manipulation going on that that and and people are drawn to information that they want to hear so if they hear an answer or a solution or an explanation that is aligned with their politics they'll be like well that's what it is and they'll they'll glue themselves to that fact they won't go looking and how are how are Democrats supposed to counter things. that? If if Democrats aren't right. willing to lie, Anthony, like what what can we do? Yeah, I've said this before. You know, you know, they go low, we go high. I don't think that works. I, I think you know you have to meet people where they're at, and and bringing in. I think she was from Boston, actually, this social media person that that Biden has brought in to uh, you know manage the the White House uh, Twitter account and stuff. I mean, it's rather brilliant. And I kind of wish that they were doing this a couple of years ago, where if something that is false or misinformation is put out there by the Republicans, take it, repost it, and write the truth next to it and just <laughs> call it out. Because if you don't call it out at its source, that's when these things become infected. Um, can we can we uh, talk a, a little bit about, uh, you know, talking of these kind of operators, these senior people in the Republican Party? Lindsey Graham is, you know, he's one of the top dogs. And this is a guy who has um, no family, as far as I'm aware. He has no wife or husband, even. He has no 
offspring, no children. You could argue he has very little experience in reproduction at all. <laughs> and yet, and yet, he is the one that decided to be the face of this policy of a national abortion ban. Uh, it, it took a lot of Republicans by surprise. I mean, this is very helpful to the Democrats in the in the midterms and, and going into 2024, isn't it? Because it, it basically says, you know, if you believe that a, a woman has the right to choose, then don't vote for Republicans. Yeah, Democratic women are registering in, in droves. Younger women are really seeing the writing on the wall. Um, and so I think it, it, it's going to be a, a nice boost. Um, but it, it's left to be said how the American people will vote, right? Like we, we don't we don't know what that will look like. We thought we knew what that would look like in 2016. At least I thought I did. And I was very wrong. Um, sadly, you and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Just, um, just, just didn't just, I had the same shock that she did. You know, that kind of, she walked around kind of with a shock for a while, for a long time. She kind of went out into the woods, (laughs) didn't know what to do with herself. I I had the same, I had the same with the Brexit referendum in Europe. You know, I I absolutely was convinced that of course people wouldn't vote to leave the European Union. And they did. And I, and I was like, (laughs) who am I? Where am I? Where, what, what, what year is this? Um, Do you think that uh, Lindsey Graham I mean, you know, he's now saying that it was important to go into the midterms with a very clear kind of defined policy on this. Um, do, do you think it, it... I mean, it would never make it onto the statute anyway. You know, I don't think it's even constitutional for, for the states to decide uh, this or for there to be a, a kind of national abortion ban as he, as he requires. And he used to say, I, I think it's better for the states to decide when, when Roe was reversed. But to change his position on it at this moment, it's not completely believable, is it? It's all political grandstanding. You know, I don't think that any of these people have any real principles. They don't have any real beliefs, right? The beliefs that they hold are the ones that will get them reelected. The, 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 the conversations that they have with the people around them are not about... Um, doing good things for their constituents. They're not conversations about governing. They're conversations about the exercise of power, about the maintenance of power, about the maintenance of existing power structures, and about the exclusion of certain types of people that they do not feel to be worthy of representation. And with this, they're they're signaling that they don't think women are worthy of representation. That's really what they're saying, right? Like you, you don't you don't have the right to make choices about your own body. Might as well put women back into, um, you know. I I just obviously it's a it's a um, it's a regression that is inimical to American society, and it doesn't make sense. And I don't think it's going to last for long. I think there will be changes made because I think people will rebel against this. I think that more and more women will experience heartbreaking outcomes of these policies, which will lead to greater outcry and more political mobilization, right? So these policies, I think, in the end do work against um, Republicans, but I, I just am worried that Democrats are going to kind of rest on that, right? And they're going to assume yeah. that Republicans are going to do all the work for them, and that's not really where it's at, right? We've got to continue to have strong messaging, very, very, very strong messaging from Democrats that say this is this and this is that, this is this and this is that. The White House, 
um, account and um, the, the, the woman in charge of that account, I think is doing an excellent job. I think there are opportunities um, to point out when there is a total lack of alignment between a policy being promoted at a, at a national level in the United States and the views of the administration. I think the administration should be more frequently using their pulpit because the idea with the GOP, with the idea with Lindsey Graham here is to spread like these uh, tragic and potentially de deadly, they're not potentially deadly, they're just deadly, right? Like deadly consequences of red state abortion bans to the entire country. And so the the cruelty, the fear, and the subjugation are the point. The GOP are telling us their plans for this democracy every day. And so it's up to the American people. I think the American people um, are going to see through some of this. I think the DeSantis stunt, the Abbott stunt, I don't think they'll stand. I think enough people will ask questions about that. Um, well, because it's inhumane. And, and inhumanity, I hope has a visceral reaction Sometimes. for other humans. You know, there, there are things that we should not witness. There are things that, that, that no matter what our, our race or our, our religion or gender, that we should all have a commonality. And, and to disrespect women, half the population, in this way. I mean, there, there wasn't even a call there wasn't even a national conversation about abortion until Roe v. Wade was overturned. It was like a it was like a stealth-like thing Republicans have been working on for decades, yes. desperate to pack the court. Yes. The moment they got enough justices, they just went and had, went ahead and did it. And of course, the the document was leaked. The the the, the draft ruling was leaked, and and Democrats did nothing in the process between the leaking and and the and it becoming law because they didn't think it would because precedent you know the everything that these justices justices had said when they were interviewed about Roe they they relied Susan Collins falling for it you know so much happened to suggest that this couldn't possibly be the case but it's definitely gonna mean that if Republicans control the house they'll now push for um, uh, same-sex marriage to be abolished they'll push for contraception to be abolished interracial even marriage. interracial marriage yes i mean it, it's gonna happen like without question we really need to wake up to to this stuff and it, it's because it seems so outrageous and inhumane that we think it can't happen and they will just keep surprising us i agree i agree there's a big difference uh, or excuse me a big disconnect between between what is happening in our country politically and what actually affects people, right? Um, yeah. So they see a pandemic check, they notice, right? Um, getting some money from the government because that's such a weird thing. Like, well, the government gave us money. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, right? Um, they yeah. notice when things impact them. And I think yeah. they will notice as more and more GOP policies impact them. And that will... Um, maybe the, this this pimple of fascism that we have in America will come to a head, right? And then that's the inflection mm -hmm. point for, the, for America. That's the next inflection point is what do we do about this? Are we going to decisively oust these people? Are we going to say that th this isn't who we are? Um, I think there's a big open question there and um, the, next, the next set of elections are going to decide that and it's scary for everyone involved, right? <laughs> It's it's scary for it's scary for the GOP apparently to think that people like me might be running the country someday. 
you know, like it scares them. It's a, it's a, it's terrifying. And I ask, what is terrifying? Is it terrifying to give kids school lunches? Is it terrifying for people to be able to love who they love? Yeah, I guess so. You know, it's, it's, uh, it mires us in a, in a bog of discussions that we shouldn't even be having because this is America and we're a free country and, um, the, the human rights, the freedoms that we want to presume that we have and that we say that we have, um, I think regular people don't really know what those rights are today and where the limits of those begin and end. We see that with, say, police encounters, right? There are a lot of different situations that regular Americans are put into where we don't really seem to know where the line is between our own personal individual freedom and like kind of this tyranny, this big, you know, this specter of tyranny that we've been so afraid of. I think the the folks who typically wave the don't tread on me flags are failing to see that tyranny is here. It's at our door. It's knocking. And they're opening the door and they're welcoming it in. Let's just finally, because we have to finish, but I just finally want to talk about the British monarchy because, and just to kind of clear up a few things, because Americans love the the kind of pomp and the ceremony. I don't think they all necessarily understand what a what a um, an absolute monarchy means versus. Britain, which is not an absolute monarchy, it is a, a democratic constitution, and it has a head of state, which is mostly ceremonial. Uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II reigned for 70 years, and I think that's what makes this unique, that for all of us who grew up in the UK, and even for people such as yourself, you've only known one queen of England and, and, and the Commonwealth. And for that person to to change uh or to die in this case is is it's a bit of a shock there is a line right now as you and i speak um from the palace of westminster in in london that snakes around around three or four miles over the over the bridge and along the south bank all the way to bermondsey which is kind of effectively east london of people who are prepared to wait for up to 24 hours overnight they're only allowed to bring a little bag. They can't bring a, any camping equipment or anything, sleeping bag, because the line is constantly moving, just to walk past the coffin as Her Majesty lies in state and, and pay their respects in a moment. What, why do you think British people are coming out in their tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, to, to make this gesture? Well, it's simple. She was loved. She was a loved figure, and as experienced by so many, um, a a bit of a benign figure in a way, right? Like there was this, there's, there's the, the colonial history of England and there's a new world that, you know, in, in varying ways is farther or closer away from that. Right. I think the, the statistic that I read is that every six days a country celebrates its independence from Britain. Um, yeah. And so there, because she allowed that, you know, yeah. she allowed, I think this is what people don't understand. You know, she spent her reign righting the wrongs of her ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not her fault that her ancestors stole countries, effectively, colonized countries. And I mean, I, I'm embarrassed for that aspect of the history. But I respect the fact that the Queen was a modernizer. And, and when a country said, we want to take our country back, she was like, okay. 
Yeah, I mean, it could have it could have been obviously uh, recidivist policies. It could have gone completely the other way, and it could have been, oh, yeah. you want your independence? Absolutely not. Um, oh, you want to take steps to um, separate yourself from us? Certainly not. Um, and and that could have been the that could have been the the conversation, right? I think there's a pain amongst uh, Britons that the UK no longer occupies the same place in the world that it did. I think that there is a there's a common plot of crumbling institutional faith that I think is unfolding in parallel on both sides of the pond. And so many people had discussions this week um, over her passing relating to the impact of colonialism. Um, lots of people felt that it was not appropriate to even have these conversations. Um, and many others said, you know what, she was, a, she was a leader, she was a ruler. We really have the opportunity to discuss her reign in a way that feels more factual um, and less emotional. And I think a lot of other people weren't ready to hear that. You know, it can feel really mm. painful to hear someone mm. say, well, what about the colonial legacy when yes. essentially your, your grandmother has just passed, right? That's really what it seemed yeah. like. And I spoke on the phone to my mother, and I've told you this before, that my mother is essentially the bellwether for boomers in America for me. Yeah. And um, she called me, and she seemed confused. Um, because on one hand, she said, you know, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a, a monarchist. I'm not a royalist. Um, but I do think that she was with me my whole life. I knew her my whole life. I felt like I knew her. I felt like she provided a face to the people of England um, in a way that I felt was really positive. And so she was really torn up about this. And I couldn't understand it. I was just thinking, you know, this is a this is a foreign head of state. Um, we we claimed our independence from this country. Uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily um, be in tatters over it. But the reality is that many Americans were completely and totally in tatters over it. And so I but it's to our the consistency. Isn't it? Is it? Is it not the consistency? Unlike, uh, I mean, in England we have a five-year fixed-term parliament. In the U.S., it's four years. I mean, that's not really enough to kind of get it, get you know, get your feet under the table as a as a as a government and kind of get stuff done. Because as you know, anything that happens in the public sector is a very slow wheel to turn. Right. It takes two or three years for anything to really change, and by then, oh well, the term is up. You know, it is. But but with the monarchy. There is this level of accountability they're trying to describe to people where, you know, we have all of this ceremony where the, a new prime minister, Liz Truss in this case, literally went the day before the Queen died to ask permission to be the new prime minister and the Queen gave, gave her permission. Having somebody above Donald Trump or Joe Biden who is not making the rules but is just keeping the house in order can you see how that is actually kind of helpful to preventing things like insurrections because or the stealing of official secrets marked top secret and then claiming, oh, well, I, it was mine to do so. I mean, if there was a head of state above the, the president role or if they were prime ministers, let's say, do you think that there would have been more checks and balances? Because the current checks and balances system with the executive branch being separate to Congress and the Senate doesn't work. I mean, it hasn't worked. <laughs> I love your perspective on this. I think that there is a, there is a huge opportunity, an unclaimed opportunity for Americans to identify more figureheads and people that they think um, 
promote the morals and the, the mores that we want to have in America. And those people don't always have to be politicians, right? Like, where's the, where's the new MLK, for example, right? Like, I know yeah. there's room for this type of inspirational um, leader, but I don't think that Americans have the patience for, for, for a queen, right? Or for someone who is permanent. I think that we're impatient. Well, being told what to do is something that does not sit particularly well, you know, because it does. Freedom is the word. I mean, we don't really use the word freedom in England. <laughs> it's used all the time in America. And in England, we never use that word because we are free. By nature of being in a democratic country, you are free. Free, free speech is obviously the most important thing. But the right to vote is another. And yet America talks about freedom all the time. And I would argue it is far less free than, well, than the UK. Well, I, I recently observed a video of the um, of, of a crowd in the UK paying their respects to the Queen and a young boy maybe 15, 16, 17, who decided to raise his voice and make it known that he did not yeah. respect Prince Andrew and did not, yeah. you know, um, accept him as any type of figure with any leadership um, over the United Kingdom. And um, there were several scenes like this that played out in the UK over the last week. And, uh, you know, it was fascinating. But to it wasn't see. the police that pulled him out. It yeah. was actually a, a member of the crowd who let him speak. And this is very interesting, Jackie. Instead of like in America, someone would have just punched him in the face or maybe <laughs> shot him in the shoulder. They decided to chant God save the king really loudly to drown <laughs> out his voice. And that and uh, until eventually some guy was like, come on, enough. That's a legitimate and, protest. And, yeah, but that was what I love about Britishness. It's like, okay, you have the right to to, to disrespect the the royal the royal family because that's your that's your democratic right. But we're going to shout "God save the king" even louder, and, <laughs> and you can't compete with that. You know, and it's 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 kind of beautiful. Uh, listen, we have to finish, but I, I'm so thrilled that we got the chance to talk at length today, and. Um, I'm always grateful for your expertise. Can we Can we just, uh, I'd love you to talk about your website and your blog just so that people know where to find you. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I am on Twitter at Hacking But Legal and my blog is HackingButLegal.com as in Hacking But Legal. <laughs> um, and I, I tend to publish um, little investigations here and there, things that I look into. Um, you know, for example, last week I was able to find that two of the individuals relating to uh, Cam the Cambridge Analytica scandal, people who are uh, working directly for Trump on the last campaign, um, they took out PPP loans uh, during the pandemic, which right. were forgiven. And so, you know, one point, more than $1.5 million went to people who are psychometrically analyzing Americans for the purpose of targeting them with weird political messaging, which could now yeah. include QAnon. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, these types of uh, interesting investigations and taking a look at some of those primary sources yourself, uh, take a look, hackingbutlegal.com. Great. 
Jackie Singh, thank you very much thank for you, joining Jackie. us on The Weekend Show. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or as an audio podcast and also the 5-Minute News daily podcast, which drops every morning so you can listen while you make your coffee. I'm Anthony Davis. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on the 5-Minute News Weekend Show with Midas Touch. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.